Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we share wisdom and practical tips to help you grow stronger in all areas of your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who offer real-world experiences that you can apply to your own journey. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I am committed to bringing you people who will both challenge and inspire you. And I promise that's what's going to happen today. If you enjoy my show, be sure to rate it and review it on your favorite podcast platform. My podcast is brought to you by my company, Performance Support Systems. We're the publisher of software tools and books that help people improve their communication skills at work. And they carry over at home too. And you can learn more at our website, growstrongleaders.com. Today, I am so thrilled to bring to you as my guest, Mark Silverman. Mark, welcome to my show. Uh, It's such a pleasure to be here after having so many conversations with you. You know, this one is going to be so special. And I want my audience to know, Mark immediately rose to the top of my list of favorite people when he and I met for the first time. And he has stayed there. He's just such a special human being. And I'm really excited to introduce him to those of you that aren't familiar with Mark and his work. Let me give you a little bit of background about him, though, before we jump into our conversation. Mark has such a fascinating background. He was very successful with um, fast-growing tech startups back in the day when NetApp and EMC were the big growing companies. And he generated over $90 million in sales. And he was able to achieve this by bringing together teams of executives and technical leaders to close complex multi-million dollar sales. And so one of the things about Mark that I think helps him bring such freshness to the clients he works with is he knows firsthand the pressures that are on these executives in the C-suite, the hustle and grind culture that is accompanied uh, by this, um, you know, desire to achieve so much. And so this experience that he had really helped prepare him for the work that he's doing today with clients as a coach, as a facilitator, consultant. I know, Mark, you don't like putting labels on what you do. Um, But basically what he's really committed to is helping them achieve sustainable, lasting success in their lives, both personal and professional. He's the author of my very favorite book on, (laughs) I hate to even use the word time management. It's Only Tens 2.0. And I highly recommend that you get this. I love the subtitle, Confront Your To-Do List, Transform Your Life. And he's also the host of a wonderful podcast that I highly recommend you subscribe to called Mastering Midlife. Mark, so glad to have you here to have this conversation today. Oh, I'm so excited. You know, uh, last night was uh, a mastermind that I lead for a bunch of CEOs. So I have uh, these guys come on to the, the on Zoom 
every other week and we have conversations uh, to help them grow as people, as, as leaders, et cetera, and so forth. Last night, I pulled a surprise on them and uh, had them uh, brag about each other. So I gave each one someone to brag about. And they like that was easy for them. They could brag like crazy about each of the other ones. Then I turned it on them and I told them that it was their job to brag about themselves and that the other participants are going to rate them on the believability. Uh, like, you know, so are they as enthusiastic about bragging about themselves as they were each other? And all of them were groaning and so, so successful, such amazing, confident looking people. And, it, you know, so it was really interesting to watch them squirm and do this. Then you do your introduction to me and I'm sitting here in the hot seat going, wow, it's so hard to listen to people talk about your accomplishments this way. It's such an interesting dynamic to me. Well, okay, let's explore that. I love it. See, already you've given value to my audience. For people who are in this business of coaching clients or working with clients to help them see themselves um, in an effective way, you've just given a great example of an exercise that, um, that they could use even for themselves. I just love, love that. So what was going on with you when I was talking about you? Oh, it's just, it's just interesting. I was wondering, what are all the people that I used to work with think about me claiming my myself as successful and all that, you know, and just, and, you know, who am I to own, uh, you know, that kind of a career and, and that success, uh, because I'm subjective, right? I know all my warts. And this is what we talked about last night is I, I know all my warts. I know all my shortcomings. I know how hard it was to do some of the things I did. It's, it's like having a best-selling book. People see the end, end product. They see the, the product that's been edited and, and read through and fixed over and over again. <clears throat> but they don't see uh, the agony that I went through, the, the editing, the redos, uh, the time that I called my publisher with my keys frozen on the keyboard saying, I can't write this book. It's not going to be written. So even though it has great reviews, I know the warts underneath. I know the, the subjective feelings. So I think in order to, for people to own their gifts, their greatness, their power, their skills, anything that they end in their successes, it's tainted by the, the subjectiveness of the warts that they know are underneath. And mm -hmm. I, I think that both can exist. You can own your, your successes while still acknowledging that there was bumps along the way. Uh, when you're talking about another person, when you're taught, when you're building up another person, you know, you know, their faults. I, like I, I told my clients, you know, I know your warts. I know your faults. I know what you, your shortcomings. And I think when you're one, one of the most amazing people I've ever met in my entire life, right? Both can be true, right? I wouldn't coach you if I didn't think you were amazing. I don't believe you should coach anybody who you aren't completely enamored with. So uh, I don't lie to people. I don't compliment people, but I can find what's amazing about them and still know that there's things that aren't amazing about them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love that, Mark, because I think about your own journey in the, in the field of high tech, just as an example, where you experienced amazing success, and yet you really didn't feel it inside, right? There was always a part of you that I think you felt like you didn't measure up or something wasn't quite right because you got very stressed in that environment, right? I was told, I, you know, so I was homeless 
by the time I was 27. Uh, alcoholic, drug addict. I waited on tables and bartended well into my 30s, uh, and I didn't get my college. I didn't get my college degree until my 40s. Uh, so for me, I always felt like no matter whether if I showed up in a Hugo Boss suit with a solid gold watch in a, in a Lexus. I felt people could see through that and see that I was nothing but a homeless waiter. So it was really hard for me again. So, so when I talk about these things, I talk about extreme experience with the dichotomy of what people are seeing and what I'm feeling. So I can understand when other people are sitting there really stuck in that subjectiveness. You know, if you only knew this about me, you wouldn't think, you know, highly of me is something I come across all the time. That's just not true. Yeah. The journey that you've been on, thank you so much for your honesty about that, because I think sometimes, I don't want to say people hide behind those warts, their past, but they're more reluctant to let it out because they're concerned about how they're going to come across. In your case, one of the things I found so refreshing about you from the first time I met you, and then as I read your book, is this openness to own up to where you struggle, where you have fallen short. And I think that makes you so relatable to your clients. What are some of the things that you find from your own background have helped you connect quickly and easily with the folks that you work with? I think the fact that I've you know scraped the bottom of the barrel, there's nothing anybody can tell me that phases me. People, people share with me, you know, really spit shine, beautiful people, you know, driving beautiful cars and beautiful homes, tell me all kinds of things about their family upbringing, the shame of dysfunctional families, of mental illness, of drug addiction and alcoholism in people's families. I could care less. Like that just doesn't phase me. You know, oh, I, I don't kind of lose it with, oh my God, you came from that. I just can't understand that. Totally get it. Right. And we can still have amazing lives. Uh, so th for me, that, that's the first thing is uh, I'm not phased by anything. The second is I, I seem to have a really big capacity to hold people's pain uh, because I've had my own tragedy, because I've had my own uh, suicidal thoughts and, and, and attitudes and all that kind of stuff. I can hold other people's pain without taking it on. So I, I can allow people the space to have that in the room uh, without them worrying about me crumbling under the weight of it. Uh, so those are the two things that really help me connect with people. Now, we don't always talk about pain and trauma and all that stuff. I'm not saying that's what we talk about. But usually those are some of the things, if you look at really successful people, those traumas and, and, and those pains are the things that drive them to be successful in the first place. And when you're driven, so I was driven to make money because I was homeless. That drive to prove myself, to prove myself not a piece of crap, homeless, you know, nothing guy uh, drove me, which was unsustainable. Those drives of the, you know, show me an a, a uber successful person and I will show you uh, a childhood trauma that they're trying to erase with that success. Now, if we can erase that success, keep the skills, keep the work ethic, keep the things uh, in line to continue that success, now that success is lighter. Now you can experience and enjoy that success. If you're trying to erase a childhood trauma, no amount of success is ever going to help you. Mm -hmm. Such an important distinction. I just, you know, as I listen to you, I think about 
um, how easy it is. I know it has been for me, but just imagining your coaching clients being able to be with you because of the acceptance they feel from you, no matter what, right? No matter what they bring to you, they're, they're not being judged, criticized, evaluated in any way. And yet you're so good at holding their feet to the fire because it's like you see through that at the potential that they have, the opportunities that they have. And I'm just curious, what are some of the questions that you pose to clients to get them to pause? Because I have a feeling a lot of people come to you, I I think, um, Therapists call it the presenting problem, right? Mm -hmm. So they come to you with something they think they need help with, but you quickly see there's something else there. How do you help them get to from their stated problem to whatever the issue is that you identify? That's a that's a good question because often I'm surprised when the discovery process yields the gold. I'm as surprised as the uh, as the client. It's like, oh my god, look at this. But usually my, my, my big question is always why I'm constantly asking why, you know, like Mark, I want to build, I want to build a $300 million company. Why? (laughs) Uh, Because I want to help the world. I want to help people. I want to do this or I want to do that. Why? And we keep going down and down and down until we find out what's driving them. Uh, It's, it's, you know, it's a silly question to be, uh, you know, when, when something happens to you, the why question usually is useless. In the coaching, it's a really good one for me because I can keep peeling off the layers until they finally see that the business, the, the project, whatever, you know, whatever they're trying to accomplish is for a reason that's three layers down. Mm. And you know that ties into me with, with your whole book and this whole idea of identifying the tens. And especially at the end, when you're talking about the compass and, you know, really getting at your why, but I really want to um, help my audience think about how you present tens, because it's very easy as for us to talk about, you know, focus on your tens, but let's look at what do you mean when you say tens, because it was interesting to see you say that eights, sevens, eights, and nines fall away when you really get clear on your tens. And that's something I've struggled with. You know, there are a lot of things that compete. So talk about how you define a 10 and then the distinction you make with those numbers as they decrease. Great. The reason seven, eights, and nines are tough for you is because you are uh, a brilliant overachiever. You can do all your tens and your eights and your sevens, and you can get them all done uh, and and get them all done well. So you can fool yourself into thinking, you know, wow, look at all this instead of really focusing on the things that are important. So a te- the definition of a ten in my world, uh, I am severely ADD. Uh, you know, I have you know, I have trouble concentrating. I have shiny object syndrome. Uh, as as bad as anybody I've ever met, uh, I would much rather scroll news on Twitter than do any of my own work. Uh, uh, the 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 science on dopamine addiction and uh, and the, and frying our dopamine receptors with all this social media and all the attention is really huge, and I'm I'm I, I feel it in myself. So I wrote the book specifically as a as a oxygen mask for myself. 
I went into business for myself. I no longer had a horrible sales manager to tell me what to do and to be scared of. I was my own sales manager, which is really a scary thing. What I learned was a 10 is something that needs to be done. It needs to be done by me. And it needs to be done by me today. It needs to be done needs to be done by me and it needs to be done by me today. Now this is for purposes of our to-do list. The other thing the other thing that makes it a 10 is, is I really have juice for it. It's something I really really want to do. I want you don't have to write a book, right? So you have your job, you're doing your job and all that stuff, but this is something inside you that says you want to write a book or you want to create this course or you want to do something here. If that juice, if that creative drive is there or it's just going to be fun for you and light up your life, that's awesome. Now the reason I say that this is for your to-do list is because we tend to put everything on our to-do lists. Uh, David, uh, David Allen has the getting things done program, which I've done twice. Uh, and he says, put everything on your to-do list. I'm the opposite. I can't, I can't prioritize A, B, C, big rocks, little rocks. Everything that's in front of me screams at me at the same volume. I don't know the difference between an email and a bill that needs to, needed to be paid yesterday. So I needed a way to figure out how do I actually find out what's important? So I looked at uh, Derek Sivers, a really brilliant thinker and writer. He said, uh, you know, it's either a hell yes or a hell no. I had to get rid of the ambiguity. I, you know, I had to get rid of the things that I lied to myself about. So when you put your everything, everything, everything on your to-do list, things fall through the cracks. You don't get to them. So you put them on tomorrow's to-do list. Then you put them on the next day's to-do list. Next thing you know, you have a to-do list full of things that you're just never going to get done. And you're lying to yourself that you're ever going to get them done, right? But you feel terrible about them and they weigh you down. So when you look at the tens, for me, it's getting people honest about what they're really going to do. Are you really going to do that today? So the tens list is for today and today only. Not worried about tomorrow. Today's, today's Thursday. I'm not worried about what I'm going to do on Friday. My mind would like to worry about what I'm going to do on Friday. So I, what I see on my whiteboard or on my piece of paper or on my Asana is just the things that are important today. They must get done today. They must get done by me. And they must get done by me today. And or I really, really want to do it. So I wrote an essay today. Didn't have to write an essay. I wanted to write an essay. So once I pare that down, then I start to see that my energy focuses. And if I only have three things on my list that absolutely have to get done, that's awesome. Now I have people who lead teams of people. How do they, they start to look at their list and I'm saying, okay, does this have to be done by you? And they're like, well, no, actually my assistant could do it or my VP of so-and-so can do this. Or, you know, uh, if we're, we're talking about, you know, I, I need to research um, uh, assisted living for my mother. Could you ask your brother to do it? Oh, yes, I could get that off my plate. So now we start to talk about what could be delegated. If it can be delegated, it may be a 10 that it needs to get done, but it doesn't need to get done by you. So now we have a delegated list, right? Now, what are the things that you're lying to yourself about? Let's get rid of them. You're just lying to yourself. Stop lying. Let's tell the truth. Uh, what's the stuff that you don't want to do that you're doing because other people told you you should be doing it? You know, some other people have expectations of you. Now, what are the difficult conversations that you have to have in order to get those things off your plate to tell someone you're just never going to get to that? 
Or can I have a later date? Uh, I know this has got to get done. And I know it's got to get done by me and I promise it to you, but can I have three extra days? Those difficult conversations, those the negotiations, the, the agreements, the re-agreements, those kinds of things are key for getting things off of our plate today. When you go down the list and you start to look at the qualifiers of why they're on your list, someone else's priorities, uh, you're afraid to set a boundary. You know That's often a big thing is what will people think of me if I don't get all this stuff done? You know, they'll think I'm not competent because I couldn't get all this stuff done, especially if you're talking about your boss about your boss and they just give you too much work, you know, but you're not going to do it well. You're going to drop things out anyway. You're going to get in trouble for dropping things out. So you might as well get ahead and swim up river and start to talk about, listen, I can I can handle these priorities. If these other priorities are important to you, then I need the resources to address them or I need to take something else off my plate and address it the following week. What can we do about that? Now, if you have a, a sane boss, that's great. If you don't have a sane boss, and a lot of people don't, then people screaming at you, and you got to start thinking about other things. But the, first, the most important thing about only tens is getting honest with what you're going to do, what you're willing to do, what you don't want to do, and then what conversations you have to have in order to create that room. You're reminding me, um, because this whole thing of having difficult conversations is in this chapter or section on your toolkit. And when I saw that chapter heading toolkit, I thought, oh, I'm going to get some strategies for, you know, organizing my day. And, and it was none of that. But I thought, man, these, this is what we really need, though, in terms of toolkits. What are some of the skills we've got to have in order to put those tens in place and stick with them? And, then, you know, that whole, that whole section is your expertise, Right. So, so what I what I suggest to people is they go read your books, read people who are experts in communication to learn how to have those difficult conversations. I can start that rudimentary, rudimentary skill level. Uh, I can start to get you on that path. And then if but the, the art of having difficult conversations is life changing and constantly evolving. Yes, you're so right. And um one of the other things you talked about, I think you had a whole chapter on it, false tens. So something can feel like a 10. It's like, you know, well, yes, I can check the box on all that criteria you just listed. But how do we really distinguish between a real 10 and the false ones that seem to be popping out at us? So uh, I have shiny object uh, syndrome. So my iPad started to die and the new iPad 12 came out. All of a sudden, I'm researching an iPad 12. Oh, no, oh my God, the iPad 12 Air, it's so much more powerful. Than, and I could use the pen and I could use it for this. And I, I create videos and I can use it as a wipe. That's a false 10. Doesn't need to be done. Doesn't need to be done by me and doesn't need to be done by me today. I want to do it. But the problem is it's getting in the way of the things that I said I was going to do today. So it's a shiny object. There'll come a day that, uh, you know, so there's, there's a day where it's time to think about the iPad. My iPad died. I use iPads all the time. So I'm going to go buy an iPad. It wasn't that day. So a false 10 is usually a dopamine hit. It usually comes in the form of social media news, uh, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff that, you know, th those little red dots that people are vying, spending billions of dollars to get your attention with. Uh, the other is, False 10 is somebody else's priorities. Mm. False 10 is your email. That's other people's priorities. You know, get to this when I say you're going to get to this. When your spouse says, gives you a honeydew list 
and you have no time to take care of that honeydew list. Now that's going to take a delicate, loving conversation to set that boundary. Can't just say no. Uh, you, you know, to that person, you have to say, I love you. And I, you know, I can do two things on Saturday, but the rest of the day I need for such and such, or I plan to spend time with the children, you know, so you have those loving conversations. Uh, false tens are, are things that, um, false tens are usually nines. So it's a good idea. I really should do this. It's such a great opportunity. I shouldn't pass this up, but I don't really want to do it. Right. I don't really want to do it, but I really should. That's a, as soon as you start to feel, hear that internal dialogue, that's a false 10. I'd be stupid not to do that. No, you don't really want to do it. So now, now we have these motivations. You're always looking at your motivations for things. Mm-hmm. That's really great. I'm laughing because it's so easy for me to get hooked on that. <laughs> well, here's another thing. Uh, let, let's, take, let's take on the cookie drive at the PTA. Let's make sure that we're coaching the baseball team and the basketball team and the football team because we want everybody to like us. Let's go to, uh, I remember my, I had two sons uh, who played baseball and both of them had four games a week. I can't go to eight baseball games a week. I have a job. I'm trying to support the family, but I can't go to no baseball games a week, right? So, because, you know, they're my sons. I want to see them play baseball. Uh, the, the false 10 is, try, is the drive to be the perfect dad, to show up all the time. The 10 is, I told each of my sons I will be at two baseball games each per week. And I made sure I kept my word for that. And my ex-wife would text me what was going on at the other, you know, the other baseball games. But uh, so, so a false 10 could be that just that drive to be all things to all people. I call that in my book, I call that mine earnest. Everybody has a, has a little person inside them that is, is kind of their alter ego. And mine is earnest. I want to be all things to all people all the time because I can. I'm freaking Superman and I can do it until I can't. And it's when that sobering day comes when it's like, I cannot do it all. And it's, it's, it's frightening because we get ourselves, I get my self-worth from how much I do for other people. And to take that and, and to, to, to risk that self-worth has been one of the hardest things I've ever done, to say no to people and wait for them to not like me. Mm. Yep. Uh, I can identify with that. Um, one of the things I'm curious about, because of your own you know, ADD uh, situation, what are some of the, th- well, two things, when you find yourself, you know, starting to get um, distracted by a non 10, let's say, what do you do to raise your awareness? So you catch it quicker. And then once you catch it, how do you refocus your attention? So you're back on your 10. Ooh. Good, good. So let me go for the macro. When I'm not doing my tens, because what I love about only tens is I can't help people stay on track. I don't. I'm not. I am really not good at helping people stay on track. I don't know how you can stay on uh, a healthy diet for the rest of your life, exercise for the rest of your life, meditate for the rest of your life, journal for the rest of your life. I don't know how to do that. I know how to get back to exercising. I know how to get back on track. Uh, so I plan that I know that I am going to get distracted. Uh, you know, when you, you and I had technical difficulties in the middle of, of this conversation. So all of a sudden the screen went black. 
first thing I did was pick up my phone and checked Twitter to see how many people liked my essay today because I'm addicted to that, right? <laughs> and, then, and then I caught myself and you texted me and said, it's going to be a couple minutes. And I caught myself and I put down my phone and there was an email that I needed to work on for a client uh, that he wanted me to look at before he sent it to one of his customers. So I did that. But my first impulse is to go look at, at Twitter or any of that stuff because I, have, I, have, I only have two minutes, so I might as well keep myself busy instead of maybe sitting here and breathing. So getting back on track is, 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 the, is the superpower. For me, when I notice that it's been a couple of days and I'm not doing my tens, I'm just knocking things off my to-do list or I'm ignoring things on my to-do list, is I sit down with a piece of paper, I sit or I go to my whiteboard, and it's much easier for me for, to go to my whiteboard, and I write down all the things that need to be done. When I write down all the things I need to be done, David Allen style, now I start crossing things off. What needs to be delegated? What doesn't need to be done? What needs to be done today? And I usually whittle it down to the next right action, the next piece of paper, the next thing. So I can get back on track that way. But for me, that's the kiss of death. I really do need to just turn off all distractions, I need to put on my headphones. My, when I put on my headphones, it is a signal to my physiology that I'm about to focus. Hmm. Uh, then I put on some ADD music. I listen to Stephen Halpern, who's a new age artist who just helps me focus. Uh, I have aromatherapy that I use sometimes. If I take a whiff of that aromatherapy, I put on the music. I've told my body that I'm going to focus. Uh, that's the best I can do. I am really, you know, I am, I am ricochet rabbit with the best of them. And it's why I'm able to coach these uh, brilliant CEOs because you, you, know, you can be severely ADD uh, and, and, and dyslexic and all those things and become really, really successful because you're so creative, because you're just so full of life and interested in all these things. And it's, it's then, then making sure that you have an implementer, someone who's coming in behind you <laughs> to help you, you know, mm -hmm. you know organize all of that. Mm -hmm. But they all come to me and they just lament the fact that they can't focus on anything. And I say, because what you love to do is create. So in every, every time you create, you shouldn't bog yourself down in those things. You need to hire people and you need to spend the extra money to implement all the things you're putting together. Uh, because your creativity, why would we ever want to cru crush your creativity? Mm -hmm. No, I think what you're getting at is, um, you know, just identifying what is it that brings you such joy and, and helps you feel like, I guess you want to stick with those items that are really the most important for you. That kind of all goes together. One of the other things I really want to get into with you, because I've, I love your podcast, by the way, I want to just put in a plug for Mark's mastering midlife podcast. You can because... start with your episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we can start with your episode. Oh, well, yeah, that would be great. Uh, but, but what I was going to say is you have a lot of wonderful solo episodes where you're sharing specific tips, learnings, experiences. And one of the ones you write about in your book and also you talked about recently was this whole idea of engaging in, you know, inquiring within this process of pausing long enough to ask yourself good questions. And I would love for you to talk about that because I just think 
I think in one of them, you gave three different things. And one of them I'm familiar with because of Byron Katie and the whole self-inquiry uh, process. But I want you to talk about the benefit of taking the time to do that. Do you ever get resistance from clients that say, I don't have time to stop and, and think about or write about that kind of stuff? All the time. All the time. I get resistance <laughs> from my clients all the time. Uh, they think this stuff is woo and silly and not useful. I just got off. I just got uh, last week uh, on Sunday. I gave again the mastermind with my CEO's mastermind. I gave them a uh, immunity to change. Uh, uh, Robert Keegan uh, has this book called Immunity to Change, and he talks about competing internal commitments, those things that keep you from doing the things you know are good for you. And he was talking about procrastination. And uh, on the call, you know, he, oh, he missed it. He actually missed the call. So he watched the recording and he worked on the immunity to change map to find out why he procrastinates. Now I know why he procrastinates. I've been coaching him for two years. Uh, and he goes back and forth. Like, you know, like we all do is he gets really productive. Then he procrastinates and he gets really productive. Uh, but he, so he tried to do it for himself and he wrote everything down and everything that, he, so he, he said, would you mind spending some time with me? I said, yeah, Sunday, I can spend, I can spend an hour or two with you on Sunday. So we sat down and we go through it and everything he wrote down was, uh, duh, Captain Obvious, uh, why he procrastinates. And we keep looking through it, we keep looking through it, and we keep looking through it. And in that, the inquiry is, what's the worry? If I do what I think, what I what I'm supposed to do. There's an internal worry that's a tension, and it goes against doing that action. So one of the uh, the uh, examples that Robert Keegan uses is uh, you're supposed to take you know a, a heart attack victim uh, needs to take his medication, but he never fulfills the prescription. The internal worry is if I fill the prescription and I take the pills, then I'm an old man dependent on pills and I don't want to be an old man dependent on pills. So that internal dialogue is trying to keep us from seeing ourselves as an old man taking the pills. Hmm. What the CEO found, figured out was he spun off a company and he, was, he spun off a new company and he had to be chief bottle washer. He had to be the sales guy. He had to be the engineer. He had to be all these things because he could. And his internal uh, no was, I'm too far along to be doing these things. I don't want to be doing all these things. Mm. And when we found out what that was, was now we can say, okay, so we have to talk to that guy inside who's putting the brakes on. And we have to let him know that if you close those three sales, you will hire a person to take care of these jobs. And when you close the next sale, you'll hire as so we had to write out an entire map, not for him in his head, because in him in his head thinks I can do all these things. I've done them before. I've done them, I've built multi-million dollar companies before. No problem. But that little guy inside is going, no way. You are too old, too successful to be doing all these things. So we had to give that person inside a roadmap of what's going to happen so that those things are no, no longer his responsibility. Found out later, three days later, all of the work was done, <laughs> right? The, and, and they were on the, on the way to closing that first sale so that he could fund hiring someone to do the grunt work he didn't want to do. So it's that internal dialogue that we're always looking for. So the three that I use are Byron Cage's The Work, which is a way of self questioning your thoughts, questioning your beliefs. You want to get those, those internal beliefs out onto paper so you can look at them to see 
if they're worthwhile in the real world. Most of them came from childhood. Most of them came from a completely different situation than you're in that you're applying to the situation you're in now. So journaling and doing things like Byron Katie's The Work or the Immunity to Change uh, uh, that Robert Keegan does. Another one I use is Ho'oponopono, which is an ancient Hawaiian um, conflict resolution protocol that you can use to loosen up your absolute surety about a situation, a person, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And what we want to do is question our thoughts so that we're not so sure and we can look at things from a different angle. We can, we can get it we, without, we can get a different perspective without having to be a different person. Because uh, we all have perspective. We all have, we all, we are all just steeped to confirmation bias, you know, that buzzword now. It may be a buzzword, but we are all just complete slaves to our confirmation bias. And if we think, you know, I think I'm a little less slave to my confirmation bias than somebody else. I, 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 I know I have confirmation bias, but I have a little less than the person on the other side of the aisle. That's my confirmation bias. That's crazy. So I have to sit and really question my thoughts, question my beliefs and get really, really curious about myself. The cool thing that happens when you get curious about yourself and you start to let go of some of that stuff. Now you look at the person across from you who has a very different viewpoint, or you look at the situation and now you have an open mind and you can see things that you could not see before. That's so huge. And I love the word curious because that's been a real growth spot for me over the last few years. Cause I used to judge, criticize, you know, evaluate, my own thoughts so much. And, and then now pausing long enough to ask questions where I'm less judgmental, therefore I can be more honest and encourage other people to do that. It's you are a walking, talking example because my, my experience of you is you're one of the most curious and open-hearted people I've ever met in my entire life. You know, I put you right at the top in the dictionary under curious and open-hearted. I'll put Meredith Bell's uh, picture. But for you, it was a learned skill. It was a learned way of being. So you didn't start out that way, which gives me hope. You talked about it earlier. I can't learn from perfect people. I can only learn from people who dealt with stuff and have made a change. So if you were judgmental before and you're curious and open-minded now, it's then I can do that too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, yeah. It, and of course it's more with myself than anyone else. It's only, it's fact, only with yourself. It, in fact, one of the big ahas for me, and I've known this for a while, um, I recognize it more quickly now, but when I find myself being impatient or judgmental or critical of someone else, I've learned to stop myself and realize what's going on with me that I'm not happy with, because it's always something about me that I'm projecting to somebody else. It really isn't them. And it goes back to what you just said, that when you can have that curiosity and do that work for yourself, then you approach others with a much more open, accepting willingness to hear than would otherwise be possible. It's doing that inner work. Absolutely. I, I, for me, I have a trigger. I'm easily, I, I get easily offended and I'm, uh, and I have resentments pretty easily. I know most people think of me as Yoda, but I'm freaking human. And, uh, the reason that I don't outwardly seem that way is because I do my work. If I have a resentment, the 
first thing I do as soon as I feel that anger or resentment uh, is I check with myself. Did I set a boundary? Did I ask for what I want? Did I have an expectation of someone that they don't even know about? Mm -hmm. I start looking here first. And if the answer to none of those, uh, you know, to all those are no, then the last one is, am I just a little jealous? Am I a little jealous because they are able to speak their mind in that situation and I'm not, or they're able to go do what they want to do. And I'm, you know, I'm bound by whatever rules I have in me. So it's so interesting. So the second, the second that I start to feel that poison in me of a resentment, I start looking to see what's going on with me, not with what, what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. It's not as fun. I'd much rather blame, uh, but it's much more fruitful. Isn't that the truth? Uh, there's something else I wanted to ask you about, because this is something we were just talking about. Um, Mark and I got disconnected, actually, because of my Zoom and my internet dropping. And I texted him saying, I'm looking for, you know, how to be grateful with this. You're always talking to people about finding the gold, you know, in whatever situation they find themselves in. How do you help them you know, get to that point faster because we can all get there, but sometimes we're, you know, kicking and screaming because we've got to blame or look at the negative first. What are some tips that you might have for getting to the gold quicker? Uh, Byron Katie's uh, uh, saying, uh, when you argue with reality, you only lose 100% of the time is tattooed on the inside of my forehead. Uh, whenever I want to argue with what's happening in the world, I'm going to lose. It's happening and <laughs> there's nothing I'm going to do about it. Now that it's happened, there it may be something I can do, but about the fact that it happened, there's nothing I'm going to do. Uh, but that's a practice to get there really quickly. For me, what I do with people is, is you have to feel it. If you're disappointed, if you're angry, if you have emotions around anything that's going on, you got to feel it. Uh, if you don't feel it, it's not going to move through. Emotions move. And for me, uh, the, you know, for so long, I always wanted to be a good boy and be seen as, you know, emo- be seen, not be emotionally intelligent, be seen as emotionally intelligent, be seen as always having the right answer. And that was just a cork on a bottle. Uh, for me. I did a really good job until I didn't, and then I would blow up. So now I feel the disappointment. I feel the sadness. I feel the resentment, right? I feel the, it's not fair. So that's the first thing I do. Then I sit down and I say, okay, now that this has happened, what's real now? What do I know is true? So I started asking myself questions. What can I see, feel, touch to know that is going on? But what am I making up about the situation? It's always, what am I making up? Because half, half the time, there are really tragic and sad things that happen. Most of the time, it's what we're tattooing on the situation that tells us that it's sad or bad or no good. So then I said, you know, so I sit there and I just kind of look at, how am I scaring myself? What am I making up that's scaring myself about a situation, right? So like when, when the, um, when the uh, internet went down and you and I couldn't talk, you told me you were worried, oh my God, does Mark not have enough time? Is Mark going to think this is unprofessional? What's going on, right? Like you're scaring yourself because you think the, that your guest is on the other side, you know, just kind of fretting over this instead of just kind of saying, all right, I got free time. I'll go take care of things, right? So, so what am I making up in my mind? Now, when we start to parse all that stuff out is the next question I ask myself is what do I want to create now? 
Do I want to create a solution or do I want to create angst? Do I want to create relationship with someone who I was angry at and forgiveness and connection? Or do I want to create strife? Sometimes, sometimes it's just more fun to create strife and just be honest with yourself that you started a fight with your spouse because you wanted to start a fight with your spouse. But if you want to, you know, what do you be conscious about what you want to do with each situation? I want to create a solution. Great. What resources do I need to create the solution? What do I need to do now? But if you don't feel it first <laughs> and take an inventory of what's going on, you can't get it's 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 skipping over and you can't really get to the other stuff so so quickly. That's great. I like that emotional honesty. Um, and actually, you know, it's funny. I wasn't overly worried. I just thought, well, let's see what time we both have. And, I, I, you know, I get to acceptance when I can't do anything about reconnecting. It's like, OK, we'll just roll with whatever happens. And that's different. I used to be more fretful of, you know, oh, what's Mark going to think? How's, you know. All, all that nonsense. It's all this the stories we tell ourselves. You're so right. There was a question you have in your book, you, and it's two letters. You said your favorite question is so. So, and so I would love for you to explain that and ask why is that? I know earlier you talked about asking your clients why, but with so, I got the feeling you ask yourself that a lot. Is that right? Uh, you know what? I'm I'm actually at a loss as to what I mean by the so. I think the so is 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 the same as the why. Is more just being curious about what's underneath. Ah, okay. So it's not so. It's so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's just you're always constantly going. What's underneath? Because what's presenting is never the problem. It's what's underneath that's the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, Mark. I think that's one of the most powerful things that I've personally taken away from our conversation today, this idea of don't accept at face value, the thing, you know, the initial explanation or reason why I'm thinking or feeling a particular way, what's driving that and, and being willing to look deeper to get at the root of it. Because I think that it's too easy to, to try to, look at what's a strategy I can implement to overcome this as opposed to finding out what's really like the, the client you just described, who was saying to himself, I shouldn't be doing all these things anymore. Right. After all this time. So he had never gotten in touch with that being the real driving force behind his procrastination. If, if you have an underlying competing commitment, belief, or something you know, subconscious that goes against that action that you want to do, no amount of James Clear or BJ Fogg or any of these habit guys stuff is going to work. Their, 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 their tools are brilliant. But until you get, un get to that subconscious part, you're not going anywhere because it wins. It wins always. And if it doesn't win today, it will win tomorrow. Uh, so for me, going underneath the surface of the ocean instead of being buffeted about by the waves on top is the only way to make any kind of change that's that's fruitful and lasting. Yeah. And that's such a great analogy. I've, I've been a scuba diver and I know what it's like getting <laughs> banged around on the surface versus going deeper and having it be a lot calmer. Mark, I could talk to you all day. 
uh, but we have to come to a close. I want to thank you for mm. this wonderful conversation. Also acknowledge the magnificent being you are in this world. I just love how you show up and all the lives you touch because of your willingness to be vulnerable, open, honest, real, and acknowledge your own humanness. So it makes it safe for all of us around you to feel that we can do the same thing. Thank you. My life has been enhanced immensely just by being around you. So thank you for being an example for me. Oh, well, we will have another conversation soon, I hope. Thank you so much, Mark. Oh, and before we close, tell people how they can find you and connect with you. So I am at uh, markjsilverman.com, www.markthelettersilverman.com. Everything is there. Uh, I've been posting a lot on uh, the social media, Twitter and LinkedIn lately, writing, kind of writing my new book, Mastering Midlife uh, Out Loud. So if you want to follow me there, that would be great. Yes, I'll be getting a copy of Mark's book when that comes out. Meanwhile, pick up his book, Only Tens 2.0, especially if you have challenges with prioritizing and focusing on what's important every day. Mark, thank you again for being my guest. Thank you, Meredith. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now, head over to growstrongleaders.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.